Today's show is sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. I could talk about this forever. You already know the drill. If you need awesome laser edge glassware at wholesale prices and you are a bourbon group, you are a store, you're a distillery, you got to talk to the folks at distilleryproducts.com. Reach out to me. I would be happy to get you in touch with them. They have amazing prices and do amazing work at distilleryproducts.com. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Orca Coolers. Make this summer the coolest summer ever with Orca. They have something for everyone from American-made, lifetime-guaranteed hardside coolers to stainless steel whiskey barrel tumblers. They're ready to have your name on it. I got a hard cooler, a soft cooler. I got a few of these whiskey barrel tumblers. I'm getting ready to make my barbecues awesome. Use code DADS20 for 20% off of your order at Orca Coolers. That is code DADS20. Adds 20 and you're going to get 20% off. And that actually means something pretty substantial when you go to get a new cooler. So check them out. OrcaCoolers.com. Use code DADS20 for 20% off. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Action247.com. You want action? Get in on the action at Action247.com. The only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. And it is the NHL playoffs. The Preds are playing against the Carolina Hurricanes. So for every Preds playoff games, if the Preds win, you win. Bet $5 on the game and you'll get a $10 free bet for every goal the Preds win by. So if they win by four to one, you're going to get a $30 free bet. The Grizzlies are also in the playoffs. NBA playoffs are going on. Bet $5 on the Grizzlies. If they win, you get your winnings plus a $12 free bet. And of course, if you use code DADS100, they are going to match up to $400 of your deposit. Check out all the boosts they have. Visit the special section of their sportsbook at action247.com. everyone my name is john edwards and with me as always is zeke baker and together we make the dad drink of bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day zeke you almost didn't make it here tonight you kept our guests waiting for 25 minutes i can't believe you did that i mean i'm at least 70 percent responsible here but at least the other 30 probably 35 to 40 i'm gonna blame on these two 20 something year old ignorant people that out of 12 parking spots at the storage unit decided to park in the one that was right next to me and got there all other 12 were empty why do you park right next to somebody why do you park right on top of the line where they can't even open their damn car door to put a box in it then you have to look at them like they're remedial tell me how you really feel sound better if i told you how i really felt it would just be a lot of bleeps so we'll save that for people for now and try to mellow back out a little bit but I, i'm i'm less than thrilled about these two people if i knew their names or i got their tag number or possibly knew where they lived they might wake up to a present in the doorstep in the morning that's all i'll say i don't want anyone to think that we're not excited about the two people that are on the show you keep saying two people <laughs> and we have two guests that are on the show tonight like I want everybody to know that we have Stu and Martin from Bespoken Spirits on. We're going to introduce them in a second. We are very excited about these two people. Zeke is not excited about two people that parked very close to him at the storage <laughs> unit. If I ever see them again, they're going to know about it. That's all I'll say. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you're here. Let's get right to it. We have kept these two gentlemen waiting, and they were forced to talk to me, Zeke. So you know how bad that was. Not only were you late, but you put me on them. I feel bad because I know I don't shut up. And yeah, I mean, that's on the, the top five list of things I would not wish upon my worst enemy. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get to them. Thanks. Because they are doing something that is pretty crazy so we have martin yanisek and Stu aaron from bespoken spirits this is a pretty interesting thing zeke they founded bespoken spirits on the premise that a spirit's color aroma and most importantly taste could be designed engineered and precisely controlled with modern science technology and data 
So rather than putting the spirit in a barrel and waiting passively for nature to take its course, Bespoken instills the barrel in the spirit, actively controlling the process and deliver premium quality spirits in days rather than years. Pretty amazing premise. I I could tell I was talking to them beforehand. I know they both worked in IT because they use customization as a service or is it, did I get that right guys? You got it right. Yeah. That and maturation as a service. Oh, there's mass too. There's Cass and mass. Oh, you got it. I like it. So we have <laughs> Stu and Martin from Bespoken Spirits. We might as well get right to you. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? Fantastic. Thank you for uh, having us tonight. Doing great. Always enjoying great meeting fellows and learning from people from the industry. Because as you're going to hear, uh, Stu and myself, we're pretty new to this industry, not in the drinking part, and definitely in the making part. Well, so are we. So don't worry. We're, we're just newbies. And uh, I always tell everyone we're the only thing that separates us from anybody that is a bourbon drinker is that we were stupid enough to buy equipment. And I was stupid enough to waste a lot of my time editing audio. So that is the only thing that separates us from anyone else that drinks. And we just are curious to talk to people like you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you do before this and what got you into whiskey? And we'll start with Martin because this was your brainchild. And then Stu, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you brought to the table here. But Martin. Thanks, John. Yeah. So my background is uh, got a PhD in material science in Europe. Came to came to Silicon Valley about sixteen years ago, and, and the idea really came doing a doing a wine and whiskey whiskey club uh, out of a discussion. And of course, we were primarily we call them here nerds, right? Engineers, right? Sitting together and kind of starting talking about aging and having to wait, like in case of wine. Where people tell you if you buy a Bordeaux wine, you have to wait 10, probably more like 20, 25 years, right? And, and quickly that, that switched over to whiskeys, right? And why does a whiskey that is 15 years old cost twice the price than the one that costs 12 years old? And and then somebody asked, yeah, what is actually happening during the during the maturation process of whiskey? Why does it actually take so long? And that kind of made me wonder and and started reading some literature. Uh, there was a group actually in Spain that were working on, uh, sorry, in Portugal. They were working on uh, brandies and they claimed that they could make a brandy uh, within a couple of months that people weren't able to differentiate and then at least organoleptically in a tasting right from something that was much much older so that kind of kicked the kicked the idea right and for me as an engineer was primarily motivated here about what we call the learning cycles right if you if you can learn faster uh, than your competitor than the existing industry and even if it's just by a factor of two right you have a you have a great advantage and the idea here that if what uh, some of the literature was suggesting, right, that you could learn much faster than uh, what the current practices were, right, you would be able to generate a lot of data. You could generate, um, you could try a lot of different recipes, a lot of different uh, approaches, and you could kind of transfer this from uh, uh, what I call an experience-driven to a knowledge-driven industry. So. That's that's sort of how it started. And then how did Stu get involved? And Stu, tell us a little bit about you and, and what you bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, so Martin and I actually have known each other for a long time. We first met 15 years ago when we worked together and launched another sustainably focused company, which was a fuel cell company called, uh, called Bloom Energy. And at Bloom, Martin ran the hardcore technology development, and I ran the marketing and the business development. And you can kind of guess from that and from the introduction that Martin gave you that, uh, you know, he's the material scientist by training, and he's a foodie, uh, you know, and beverage guy from a passion perspective, whereas I'm admittedly neither of those things. I'm the, uh, the business guy, and I've got more of the everyman's palate. So we complement ourselves both on the, the, the skills and on the uh, the palette perspective and, and how we've kind of approached the market. And so, you know, what's what's interesting is that when Martin first approached me with the idea behind the company, I have to admit, I didn't really understand the science at first, but there were several things that hooked me on the idea as an entrepreneur. 
Um, you know, it, it, it met the criteria of the four things that I always think, you know, make for a great business opportunity, a massive market to address trend lines that make that market ripe for change and disruption, a differentiated and a defensible technology with which to drive change. And last, but certainly not least a mission like sustainability to make it worthwhile as a passion project and not just an interesting business opportunity. And I saw all those things and be spoken from the, uh, from the get go. My apologies, because I know uh, Martin is the guy who is the PhD who is actually making all of this stuff work. And Stu is the guy who's out there selling it for everyone. It's kind of what to boil that down into the simplistic version of this. Am I right? Yeah, I think yeah, that's the that's the simplistic way to, uh, to describe it. I have a lot of questions. I know Zeke is going to have some questions, too. I know we are going to taste through this. I do want to know more about the process as to how this works. I know some of that's proprietary, so I know Martin can't go in all the way to that, but I do have one question. This is more for Stu, and it's just, I think business, the first thing I'm thinking about is levers. When levers get pulled, I think about ROI. I think about pricing. I mean, that's the way my brain works. I work in business. Yes, I'm in IT as well, but like, that's the way my Zeke will tell you. That's the, the way that I go always. So if pricing for other spirits is usually determined by age, age has a lot to do with being able to raise the price on bourbon and especially scotch and things like that. How does Bespoken then position itself in a way? Because if we know that this is taking days, not years, how do you then determine what the baseline for pricing is? That's that's a great question, John. And the, the short answer is is it is we tie it to quality. Um, you know, one of the things that you have to do when you introduce a brand like ours and you 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 base the the brand on you know the technology that we use and the the distinction of how we blend tradition and technology together is you have to to you know prove that you can you can do something that's of, of quality. And the way we've done that is, you know, we've taken the product to, uh, to competitions where it would be blindly judged against well-known brands and much older products. And the bespoken products have done phenomenally well. And in just the, the last 18 months, our first 18 months of eligibility, we entered, I think it's uh, eight prestigious competitions, including the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, the New York Wine and Spirits Competition, the World Whiskies Awards. And we've taken home 44 medals. Um, in multiple categories against well-known brands and against much older products. So it's that benchmark of quality that we've used to kind of, you know, A, you know, build, build confidence and build a following and, and establish the, uh, you know, the, 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 the premium nature of, of, uh, of, our, of our product. I think spirits competitions are interesting and they're very contested within the whiskey community for a whole number of reasons. But do you think... Like it's, it's hard to defend because even with aging, you would have taxes, right? So you got to pay the government taxes on, on the whiskey as it ages every year. There's things that you can put on paper that say, this is why it costs X, Y, and Z. Your margins have to be, you know, not to just come out of the gate swinging and have a serious question here, but like your margins have to be pretty ridiculous if this is something that you're not paying for storage. You're not, I mean, you can get some whiskey because you're not getting a barrel. Do what you got to do to it. Get it out in days. It's almost like moonshine. As a company, not only do you not have a lot of overhead because you don't have to store that, your speed to market is quicker. You're, you're actually getting revenue quicker. You're not sitting on, there's a whole lot of distillery owners that will say they their assets are actually liquid, but- you all are getting that done and getting that out quickly. Do you think there is a cap? I, I think the first thing to, to realize, John, is, is you know, you're right to latch on to the economic advantages that we, we bring to the industry. And that's why you know, half of our business or, or more is actually providing services behind the scenes like an Intel inside model to existing distillers, rectifiers, and retailers of various shapes, sizes, and, and geographic locations where we're helping them either mature their young spirit faster to get faster, better, cheaper product and you know, generate revenues faster. Or more often than not, we're helping them take product that may have already spent one, three, five, seven, or more years in a barrel 
And when it came out of the barrel, nature wasn't kind to it. And they're not happy with what they've got and realize they can't sell it to the customers they want at the price points that they want. And we can help them tailor that to exactly what they, what they want it to become. So a lot of the economic value of our model is in doing work behind the scenes to help existing industry players you know, make their products better and, and get an economic benefit there. And we're also obviously able to benefit from that, from that ourselves in, in the bespoken branded products. But of course, you know, the volume and the size and the stage of bespoken is not at the high volume, you know, you get the maximum, you know, supply chain benefit stage yet, but it all factors into how we think about the economics. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to price comparatively based on quality, uh, as opposed to just simply looking at it as a, a margin or as a, you know, a purely economic exercise. So the magic behind Bespoken is almost like one of the big four consulting houses. You, you could use Staffog if you want and actually get our spirit. So if you're thinking from an IT perspective, there's staff augmentation where you're actually going to temporarily hire people to do work for you, which would be like getting your whiskey. At the same time, you could do management consulting and come in or IT consulting and, and build the model for them for how they can then age this whiskey or change the whiskey to something that's more pleasing, quicker, bigger, stronger, faster, all the things that Daft Punk likes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll give you a good example of kind of a, a case study we've seen a lot of interest in lately with ready-to-drink cocktails, where you know companies want the, the, the spirit in the ready-to-drink cocktail to taste like their older aged premium spirit, but they don't want to waste their older aged premium spirit in the ready-to-drink cocktail. They'd rather sell it at a premium as older aged premium spirit. And so our ability to work with them to take young spirit, make it taste like the premium stuff, use it in the ready-to-drink cocktails, and leave the premium stuff for them to sell as premium stuff has been a real nice value proposition for those customers. Yeah, I wanted to jump in earlier just to, just because our process kind of takes only a couple of days, right? Rather than being in a warehouse for many, many years, right? It does not mean that uh, the effort that we are putting in making it, right, is any less, right? You could even argue we start working right when other people start uh, leaning back and kind of waiting, waiting for the barrels for the barrels to do their job, right? And when we develop recipes, we sometimes produce a hundred different spirits, right, that have different variations in the toast, in the char, right, in the wood, right, in 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 the grain structure, all kinds of things, right, where we what we call design uh, design and experiment. Where we then produce, yeah, like I said, hundreds, hundreds of different whiskies, and and that is an effort, of course, right? That that also uh, contributes to, to to part of costs, and as you know, then another another piece, of course, of what we pay on the shelf and what the what the producer gets, right? There's a big big difference. <laughs> what can you tell us about the process? I mean, I know a lot of it's proprietary. I know you don't want to give up the secret sauce, but what? how does it work kind of give me the 40,000 foot level? So my background, uh, like I said, when we talked earlier, right, is really uh, material science and process engineering. And we kind of looked at this like a typical engineering problem, right, where you're trying to understand. So, so, so the end product is clear, right? The ingredients is also clear, right? We're always starting. We don't distill ourselves. So we always start with a spirit and as two said, sometimes the spirit is already matured. And then another ingredient, right, as you know, is the wood, right? So, so what we, one of one of the very first things we did is we wanted to produce we want we we wanted to check the box if we can produce something that is reproducible right so for something to be reproducible you need to understand your raw materials right with wood you have the issue that it's a natural uh, product right so you have a ton of wood variations so so a lot of our core competency is actually in in understanding the contribution of the wood so we do all the wood treatments everything in house and. And then we marry uh, we, we we marry the spirit with the with the with the wood depending on how we treated it and what we call our activator and in the activator we accelerate the reactions uh, that would typically happen in the barrel we don't use any additives right other than the spirit 
the starting spirit, right, and the and the wood, and then within a couple of days, right, like I said, we are controlling the reactions that are happening. Which some of them are extraction reactions out of the wood. Other reactions are reactions that are coming from oxidation and then esterification. All kinds of different reactions that are happening, right, and and really looking at it from a from a pure science engineering technology background, right, of understanding what is happening, measuring what is happening. Right, and then controlling the different processes that are happening in the in the yeah in the in the maturation process. So our company is all about the customization, right? Really understanding what are the big uh, key input variables, right? How do you control them uh, to get to the output uh, that the customer desires? So are you aging it in a barrel, or are you aging it in a vat and adding staves and things like that? Yeah. Yeah, we have like a, a big, or we have our, our activator, how we call it, is a stainless steel vessel. The, the, the way to think about what we do is, is rather than putting the spirit in the barrel, we deconstruct the barrel and we take the elements of the barrel and we put it together with the spirit into the activator. We're, we're using these small pieces of wood that we call microstaves, where each microstave is roughly one twenty-five thousandth the size of a barrel, so maybe half the size of your little finger. And by getting that small, what we get is we get precision, which means that, you know, whereas in a barrel, as Martin said, wood's a naturally occurring element. You get some of what you want, some of what you don't want. You never know the exact ratios. You don't mix and match wood in, 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 in staves in a barrel because you, you get leakage because they expand and contract at different rates. By operating at these microstave levels, each microstave brings the elements of the wood that we want and none of the elements that we don't want. And what we do is we make a blend of micro staves for the type of recipe and the type of result that we want. So for one recipe, we might use, let's say, all American oak, whereas for another recipe, we might mix some American oak with some French oak with some cherry, right? And so this ability to choose different types and quantities and combinations and ratios of micro staves, which have been carefully sourced and have been precisely um, selected and, and treated, and then to be able to toast and char them with many, many, many levels of granularity instead of the traditional barrel model, which has high, medium, and low, where those things don't really have any precise definitions and they're inconsistent and don't mean anything, we can toast and char at different depths, at different temperatures, in different atmospheres, for different durations. And all these different levers between the wood selection and the, and the treatment, along with the source spirit and then the environmental settings on the activator, give us you know, over 20 billion different combinations that we can use in developing our recipes. So many questions. I mean, I, I find this all <laughs> super, super interesting. Micro staves. I mean, if you do a number four char, wouldn't that char go deeper than a micro stave? So the, the whole stave itself is essentially just charred? Yeah, and 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 so we probably won't do a, a char for whatever whatever in parentheses this is. Yeah. You get your crocodile skin, right? And then you have to figure out what is really it's it's pretty impressive, right, when you ask people, right, what the char does and is it the red layer that is important, right? What does really the char do, right? Or is it yeah, that red layer underneath the char? Right, the death of it. Right, how far the heat got actually into the into the barrel stave. Right, which is which is about two inches two inches thick. Right, in a in a in a typical barrel. Right, and these 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 are all the things that we have looked at. Right, and that we also keep looking at. What are really the 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 key the key parameters? Right, when you do those wood treatments. Right, and and again. I can't underestimate how important it is here that we have these short learning cycles. Right? Little when you say, okay, let's try this, let's do a different char, to use the industry term, right? And do this char with a different temperature of the flame, do it with a different atmosphere, do it at a different humidity, right? All these, all these things. And as you can see, you can very quickly get in, get a really, really impressive metrics of experiments that you want to run. Right. And if you want to do this in a traditional barrel aging, right, you will come back five or 10 years later. Right. And then you'll get some result. And then from those results, you will decide, okay, well, let's do the next experiments. Right. Because barrel number four and eight uh, were good. Right. And then you come back another five or 10 years later. Right. In our case, we come back a week later, another week later. So we can, we have these, this tremendous. Uh, advantage of learning so quickly and we do a ton of uh, haven't really talked about this but we do a ton of analytic analysis of the spirits before after when doing doing processing 
way to kind of understand the fingerprints of the spirit, to really understand when it goes in and then when it comes out, right? How do our process conditions, how do the different wood treatments, right, impact the chemistry of the spirit? And again, right, we have already made thousands of whiskeys of bourbons in just a little bit about uh, two and a half years, probably. With that possibility, you generate a tremendous amount of uh, data that then you can build a model that kind of shows you when you want more vanillin, when you want more isoamyl acetate, right? Whatever it is, right? What are the levers, right, that you need to change in your in your in your process? But you can see the process itself is actually incredibly traditional and pure, in the sense that we're only using the same all natural elements that go into traditional barrel aging. Source spirit, wood, toast, and char. We don't have any additives. We don't have any chemicals. We've really just reimagined the process to extract the most capability in the most precise fashion. And you know, speed obviously happens to, to come with it. And it's also worth highlighting one of the things that a lot of our customer base likes about our products is the sustainability of our approach, meaning that compared to traditional barrel aging, we use 97% less wood, 99% less energy. And get it, and at least twenty percent less water, because we have no angel share to speak of. One big question I have is: you know, bourbon needs to be aged in new charred white American oak. Are you able to call this bourbon whiskey with the TTB definition, considering the fact that you are yeah. not aging it in a, a white oak barrel? Yeah. So, in case of bourbon, we actually do, and we. We internally decided to age it at least for three months in the barrel so that we can get the the, the, the approval from the TDB for our bourbon and then we do the and then we do the exposure to the microstaves and to the process. Sort of like we could argue like Makers forty six is doing it, right? With first producing their bourbon, right, and then hanging some staves into it. We actually have three types of bourbons, right, in, in our portfolio right now. We've got something we call our original batch, which we can't actually technically call a bourbon. We call that a whiskey made from bourbon mash because that's only spent a few seconds in a barrel before we did our process to it. Then we have our bourbon, which actually spent three months in a barrel before we did our process to it that we can call a bourbon according to the, the TTB. And then we have a straight bourbon, which spent, what was it, 24 months? Yeah, two years. 20, two years in, 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 in the barrel before we did our, our, our processing to it. And so we're not adding any age to the, to the process, but depending on what we start with, we can still you know, take it in, in very tailored and, and powerful directions uh, to create something better from it and, and meet the minimum criteria to call it what, what, what we want to call it. So one thing that I find super interesting with all this, I mean, if you think about, and, and you said it, Martin, the whole Maker's Mark private select process, it is super fun to select makers private select you you get all those staves you're figuring out different combinations of them how many you're going to use of each one zeke hates the p2 stave but that's a whole other story i feel like the application right now there's jay mattingly which is a distillery where you can kind of go make your own blend I think there are distilleries that are starting to allow folks not just to do a barrel pick, but actually do a blending pick. I feel like Bespoken would have a lot of application for whiskey groups and stores that want to come make their own blend, pick all the different staves that are going in there. And it's a process that you, know, you could actually have it to your store, or to your group pretty quickly and have an interactive process Yes. I have a feeling knowing you two as as long as I have, I've known you for 54 <laughs> minutes, but I feel like there's going to be a portal. Users are going to be able to go in and make their selections, and then you might send them samples after being in a portal. Because rather than having a whole distillery experience, I really see the Silicon Valley influence here and, and kind of being able to do things virtually. Yeah. And, and John, you just hit on exactly what customization as a service is, right? It's working with you know an individual or a celebrity or a corporation or a, a bar or a restaurant that wants to create something custom or a whiskey club that wants to create something custom. And we go through this process where we, we take their input, we produce some samples, they taste the samples, pick what they like, 
or maybe give us feedback amongst the samples to create another batch of samples, ultimately honing in on what they want, and then we can take that to production. And again, this speed in this process allows us to do all of these things and create all these different variants to hone in on exactly what the customer wants in a reasonable time frame at a reasonable cost. And that's what you know really makes CAS so exciting. Zeke, you got anything you want to? I think Zeke's been drinking tasting it love to hear your feedback yeah i have um I've, I've been tasting through these as well as taking some notes and whatnot i, I think the first and most obvious question would just be uh so who is the big fan of jurassic park <laughs> which one first one me <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely the first one but that- I, I'm sure you get that all the time as well. So apologies. It was just too easy. Like, all right, somebody here really took Jurassic Park and then had some whiskey one night and then their gears got to spinning. And uh, so how many ever days later, it was like, Eureka, we're doing this. <laughs> you say um, they're making this whiskey. To my wife from- about this, yeah, because she thought I was trying to poison her for many, many months. Because <laughs> like many women, she has a really, really good palate. <laughs> I could imagine the, the the learning curve might have been a little bit uh, of oh my God. interesting to say the least for the first few batches that came out. Um, if, if you own any dogs or cats, they may have ran away as well when you came out of the basement or whatnot and had to, you know, a glass in the hand. <laughs> you know, some of the feedback like dog food and <laughs> rubber tires and on a hot summer day. Yeah, I've heard all these from my wife early on. <laughs> <laughs> um, without... I mean, without jumping ahead of anything, because uh, like John mentioned, we do have some samples here, and I have kind of worked through those very simply and going through all of them. I'm impressed to say the very, very least, and uh, almost at a loss for words, kind of blown away with, from what I can understand, you guys have been able to to achieve and do here, and tasting the the various final products here. Um, I, I think, like most anything new or, or naive, we all kind of form an opinion in our minds, um, whether that's the, the the wrong or right way to approach something. Anything I had expected or anticipated, I have been proved wrong on, and I, I'm happy to report that. And uh, this is a pretty solid lineup, to say the least. I'm, I'm impressed again. Kudos and cheers. I, I would not have expected that by any means. And Zeke, I've been drinking through them as well. I, I have to agree. I'm very impressed. I think it's tough for the neat drinker. I would throw that, you know, just because I think staves, there's always, just like Martin's wife said, there's a little bit of of sweetness that can sometimes come through artificial. It's not that bad, but I think if you put a neat pour of something that's been aged in the barrel for 10 years and been through all sorts of weather, you could just tell it's a little different. And I'm just being honest with that, but I don't think it's enough that I'm calling it out and saying like, I'm super impressed. I can't say it enough. Like I thought I was going to come in and it was all going to taste super artificial. The rum is my favorite. I'll be completely honest. And I'm a, a bourbon. I like rum. The rum is my favorite here. The bourbon is probably my second favorite. Super, super impressed. What actually surprises a lot of people and really shows off the power of the technology in, in a nutshell is the original batch, which is the, the black labeled one you've got, and the special batch, which is the gray labeled one that you've got, the one you just mentioned, John, that's very light. Those products could not be more different, right? The original batch is a bourbon style, right? It's dark, it's vanilla, it's caramel, it's woody. The special batch is a Japanese style whiskey, right? It's, it's light, it's floral, it's, it's, it's fruity. Those two products actually come from the exact same source spirit. So the only difference between those two products is a different recipe, meaning the microstave mixture and treatment, and then three days in our machine with the, the activator settings for you know temperature, pressure, and, 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 and other elements being varied. And it just shows the power that we could take this one source spirit into these very diverse directions with the technology. Anybody who's worked in IT or has been near San Francisco and you're thinking about what is something that's scalable and repeatable and predictable. So you have predictive analytics here of cost. You have predictive analytics of what the end result is going to be. You have all this data that you're able to bring where, yes, did I say that it's a little bit different from something that's in a barrel if you're drinking it neat, 100%, but at the same time, 
you have no idea how that whiskey is going to end up in 10 years. And y'all can do something that is predictable and say, this is what your yield is going to be. This is what your taste profile is going to be. This is what it's going to end up as. And I think that is extremely powerful. Sorry, I, I just rambled and you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Keep talking. No, this is the good kind of rambling. Yeah, one of the notes I'd put down was, um, you know, kind of your OP accounts. Probably more so, I would say, in, you know, restaurants and in the cocktail space than like a well at a bar, just because I think so many people by default, you know, order a, a Makers and Coke or a Jack and Coke, um, you know, in more of like a craft cocktail scene or, or things of that nature. Whereas you're kind of limited by whatever spirit or spirits you choose and then cr- sculpting your, your final mixture around that, someone could easily take one of these products, make whatever, you know, old fashioned or, or whatever standard cocktail they're looking to do. But note, there's also an element missing. And I feel like you could probably reach out to you guys and say, Hey, can we add, um, you know, a hint of this or kick this up a little bit or just incorporate this element so that when I make this cocktail the same way I would otherwise, I now have a, a, a new extra flavor or a twist on the profile that's going to set my product apart from the other three restaurants that are across the street from me or, you, you know, similar location, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about the mash bill itself? What are you using for your grains? Is it yeah. a typical three grain mash bill? Yeah. So John, what I mentioned earlier and probably wasn't clear is that we typically always, we, so we do not distill ourselves. We always work uh, with the distillery, right? And you, for instance, mentioned the rum, right? We'd been, we were, we were kind of scouting the market for rum that we liked. And, and we found this wonderful distillery down in Southern California who got the sugar, the, the sugar canes, right? From the U.S. Virgin Islands, right? And they did the fermentation, right? Then they did the distillation, but, uh, uh, they didn't. They didn't have an aged product, right? So, so once we tasted their spirits, um, we 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 started purchasing uh, spirits from them, and to make to make the to make the matured uh, rum that you seem to have liked a lot. And this is this is true for all of our other spirits. So we source. We always source the starting spirits for our own brand. And then for the customers, whether that's the, the mass customers who work with distilleries or rectifiers, right? They typically come with an existing spirit that they already have. And as Stu said uh, earlier, right, it can be a white spirit, but more often than we originally thought, right, they come to us with a product after two years, three years, four years, and they have the problem that you mentioned earlier, right? They, depending on how long they've been in the business, right, they didn't really know how it's going to taste after four years. We worked with somebody who was making brandy and he said, well... I probably have to wait another five years, right? And hopefully it will be better in five years. But they, but they don't know this was their first brandy line. And so we always start with this, with the, with the spirit that we either source or that our customers bring to the table. So is that something that you are thinking about portability with your product? I mean, could could we imagine a bespoke spirits bus? parked outside you know or a big trailer right and it's like you go from distillery to distillery and you have the activator in the trailer and then it's like all right roll your barrels out here we're gonna fix it for you right on the spot i'm very john that you're in it you somehow have access to all of our good ideas here no totally so we're working on mobile units Right, because uh, shipping in some cases right, plays a big role. We also believe that internationally, the business is very interesting. Right, we got uh, extremely warm reception from the from the Asian market for our spirits. Uh, we have distribution, for instance, in Korea, and we're looking at uh, partnerships right all over the world. Right, to kind of. Uh, produce the spirit locally to avoid right all the issues with transportation that comes also from an environmental point of view and then also the whole taxation right the states where it's just our countries right 900 percent right tax on spirit that you import right it's ridiculous not only am I excited that, you know, it's far better than I thought. And I, I say that with peace and love. I'm not, you know, when, when somebody says artificially, you know, aging a spirit, you first go, what? I think it's pretty obvious that Zeke and I are blown away right now. The second thing I would say, though, is a person who is in IT and has worked for disruptor companies, 
there is something that is extremely appealing when you see a disruptor that is going to come in and change an industry. I just want to know, like, you know, hit me up on the side, guys. I'm, I'm available. I'm here. Know the industry. Love it. Come poach me. But I, I think it's uh, if love my it. boss is listening, I'm, I'm don't really poach me. I love my job. But I, I just think there's like you all are primed. I've, I've seen this in other industries when you have a disruptor company that's coming in, and you obviously have been through this before with your other companies. Thank you, and we'll definitely get back to you for whether for tasting feedback or we sometimes have with uh, what we call uh, machine versus humans, right, where we sort of have our AI software uh, develop design a spirit, and we have our our partners from the industry, they design a spirit, right? We did this, for instance, with a malt whiskey, right? Where we had the AI tell us what would be the best recipes, right? Based on the based on the learning so far. And then we had a group of industry experts, right? Designing, we, we gave them the, the base spirits, right? To start with the sort of, to design their, their, their mesh film, right? And then also to design the maturation process uh, to come to something that they, that they, that they love. And yeah, so would, would love to get back to you on that. Zeke, you know what that means, though? That means we're, we're happy to send you some stuff, but that's a big N-O. You failed the interview. I thought they were directing that at you, though, John. No, they, I was saving my yeah. I was just lamenting to you that he, they he just denied me. That's all I was saying. Like, it had nothing to do with you. I wasn't crapping on you there. Martin, one question I have here is like, if you think about the bourbon, I know Zeke has a question, but say like the vanilla is coming through pretty prevalent in the bourbon, which Mm -hmm. that's what I get when I sip this. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a high vanilla. Mm -hmm. Are you able to then say, Hey, can you add a little bit more Oak flavor to it to balance it out? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And, and, and so the recipe that you are tasting, right. Or that we choose for the bourbon, right. Was just a favorite of, in this case, it was like a tasting panel out of six people, right. That was, that was, that was their favorite, right. But totally right. And of course, right. As you probably know, right. If you say vanilla, another person might say vanilla, who, where, right. <laughs> so what we do, what we do in addition, right. Because you and you and uh, Zeke, you guys probably have different, uh, uh, thresholds for um, what you consider high and low vanilla. So we actually quantify that, right? In this case, on a on a on a ppm level, right? Uh, if this bourbon has probably somewhere around uh, sixty ppm of vanilline in there, right? Which comes out of the wood, right? Exclusively, right? And for you, that might be not enough, right? For Zach, that might be too much. Right. So when we do those tastings with the with the customer, uh, while we get those qualitative feedbacks from the customer, right, we also learn about uh, what their threshold is, right, how they're perceiving it. And of course, everybody is different, but that's why we need the big, big analytical part here, too. So I'm going to go out on a limb, Zeke. And this is when I'm talking about them like they're not here, but I'm really talking to them so they can hear this. Like when buffalo trace and sazerac put out cypb that just won world's best whiskey doesn't this really sound like craft your perfect bourbon than that whole experiment i was gonna say i I was it already like kind of hit that level of just like well holy shit early on tasting these things and uh, you know hearing some of the processes and whatnot and then with that whole uh vanilla and the you know parts per million etc i was like well got me again i went to like a whole like extra level of like well shit didn't see that coming but now i'm just kind of blown away even more and again <laughs> no matter what degree of purist probably anybody is i'm not necessarily too far on that scale at the end of the day if it tastes good i really don't give a shit about too much else depending on who's around me or who's asking i guess i would qualify that with but um <laughs> like i said at the end of the day, if it's good that that's really all that anybody can ask for and what matters and um it, it speaks for itself i I think that's by far and away the the best takeaway that I would have for anyone outside of everything else going on or trying to explain uh, the processes and whatnot is like, here, quit asking me all these damn questions. Take a sip and tell me if you like it or not. <laughs> I mean, that that's the easiest you know way to just answer a question, uh, I guess, non-verbally, uh, essentially. Um, one question just before I forget kind of thing is, honestly, don't give me an answer here because it, it might not even resonate or make any sense, but... In a ballpark uh, terminology, I guess, or whatever. Blink one um, for yes or two for no is what he's how, about to say. No, 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 no. It's not like that. 
how much data collection is going on in a given day and how often or how many people are having to mine over this and really try and, uh, you know, find trends, other points of, I guess, reference or emphasis or importance or whatever that, you know, we're making kind of move the needle or rethink things or, or find something different that you can find, you can put in your existing product, I guess. Sorry, I, I couldn't think of the best way to sculpt that because there's so much going on. That's it's actually a great question, right? And probably five years ago, when 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 data storage had a much was much more expensive than it is today, <laughs> but today everything everything is on one of those one of those cloud things, right? So I I don't even know how much terabytes we have, but every spirit it depends a little bit on what kind of type of a spirit it is, but we collect somewhere four to five hundred data points on every single sample that we make, and we make we make yeah we make a lot of them. <laughs> make a lot of them fair, fair is, enough I, I yeah it is a lot of work it sounds like we're i always always insult them when people say we're shortcutting things no because it's actually a lot of work to get to get to that and what we do and and people work hard in in the in the lab on the manufacturing floor everywhere the data right but date like right if we would have tried this 20 years ago no way Right, we would have not had the machines, right, to run the software and everything. Right, we would have not even had the analytical tools, right, the capabilities that we have today. Right, twenty years ago, impossible. Right, absolutely, at least with the with the, with the funds that we have, right, impossible. You hit the nail on the head. On it's not shortcutting. You know, it's you're doing your homework in order to expedite or or to increase the speed to market. I mean, it's using IT principles in the spirits industry that typically, I mean, is just starting to really embrace tech and you're seeing stills kind of get run by computers and things that they weren't able to do before even cutting the whiskey. There are still people that are making hand cuts to the whiskey for the, you know, the hearts, heads and tails computers now have it dialed down to their like all right you have to make your cut here you have to make your cut there i would not say it's shortcutting at all i and i would say if i came across saying any of that in the very beginning and or if it seemed like i was saying it that way i i think the hardest part for you all is the education aspect because there is so much to unpack and not everybody's going to get what you're doing and a lot of that is going to come through educating the brands though and i i don't even think you have to always educate the consumers because a lot of consumers aren't even going to know that you're there pulling strings right yeah i, w- I wouldn't tell anybody this this would be the, the prime example of less is more <laughs> you try it if you like it that's all you need to know and where you yeah. can buy it and how much it is and then uh we're just going to keep going. If the product speaks for itself, right, then, <laughs> then everything else is easier, right? And that's why, you know, we took it to these competitions early on because we wanted validation that, you know, don't take our word for it. In blind tastings, it does well. Yeah, I mean, everyone, we all appreciate transparency r- regardless of even if it's something it's as simple as sourced whiskey, was it finished in this type of barrel, you know. Yeah. But for every person that a appreciates and would look to find it, you know, on a back label or whatever literature mediums and and would appreciate the transparency. There's got to be four or five or six or how many ever don't care. Ain't going to read it. Don't want to hear what you're trying to tell them. Let me taste it. And if I like it, I'll buy a bottle. All right, we're good. We're done. Don't, don't waste my damn time. You know, that those, I'm sure you encounter those kind of people quite often. And it, it's probably almost more uh, counterproductive to try and explain anything other than just, Oh, you like it? Sweet. It's this much it's, uh, on aisle three. Yep. Got big little balls too. Well, and see, as you want. Half the <laughs> thing is people aren't even going to know. It might not even be this bespoken spirits bottle. You might be buying a bottle of a different brand and it says distilled produced by that brand, but it was really, you know, Stu and Martin behind the scenes making it happen. Remember that line about less is more, John? Sometimes you just let it ride. You well, no, I mean, all you know. 
<laughs> no, they. We already talked about it. But oh, it, I know. I'm yeah. just saying, like, don't open that can of worms for people. Now they're going to have trouble sleeping at night or some shit. <laughs> well, one question I have, and and I know we've kept you guys on for a very long time because Zeke was late, and that's the type of guy he is. Like that's how he shows his southern hospitality to the good folks in San Francisco. He shows up late to the call. Is there application because you talk about the data points and you talk about the 500, you know, 500 pieces of metadata that you're pulling from every single sample you have, is there then an ability to expand? I, I know I'm like telling everything and you're like, shit, shut up because we're doing it. We don't want to tell everyone we're doing it, but is there consulting room to like go analyze people's distillate? And then tell them what's working for them and what's not working for them. Oh, I see Martin's eyes. He's like, shut up. You, you. No, 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 right? Because that's right. You can't, right? Today, what do you do, right? Unless you are one of the big guys, right? You cannot try 20 different distillates, right? And put them in a barrel and wait five years or three years, four years, whatever it is, for whoever it is, right? And that's. That's beautiful, right? That either we can help, right, distillers, right, to kind of down select what they like and how that will actually taste at the end of the day. So, no, yeah, it's another great example. Well, I am things that you can do. Well, I am thoroughly impressed. I can't wait to to talk to you all again in a little bit of time and see what you've done and and see great. when the case studies start coming out and and you can not be under NDAs with people and. Mm-hmm. tell us who you're actually doing things with and then you put a bottle on the table and you're like not only do we have our own stuff which as zeke said just shut up and drink it and you will be very impressed but then you're like also hey you know this bottle that everybody said was the greatest thing next to sliced bread you know that was us too so hopefully we can do that in person john i can't wait come on out to nashville we'll show you all a good time <laughs> We'll look forward to that. And Stu and Martin, where can everybody find Bespoke and Spirits? I know there's some uh, online retailers. There's yeah, also yeah, yeah, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So either go to our website, right? That's, of course, what you should do first. But should you not, and then you'll find a, a here to buy a button. But uh, I myself, when I look for a good bottle, I always go to winesearcher.com also because that will give you uh, maybe the retailers in your in your location, right? And as you know, we're not allowed to to mention any particular retailer, right? But yeah, go to our website and or, or to wine. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm sure I can say this. Go to winesearcher.com and type in Bespoken Spirits. <laughs> and are you all on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, yes, all that yeah, good stuff? Yeah, yeah. Please, please follow us. Yeah, good point. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Stu Martin, special shout out to Peter who was babysitting us. I hope we didn't uh, say anything that Peter didn't like. You all can find Zeke and I on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us wherever you download your podcast. Chances are you already have because you're listening to us right now. Please leave us an open and honest review just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Zeke Baker, where else can the folks find us? Go Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Ciao. Thank you, guys. Hey guys. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs>